Let's pray and then I'll talk. Father, we thank you that you have not left us alone to stumble around trying to find what it means and how to serve you. We thank you that you have given us your word and even clear words from Jesus himself that we'll be looking at this morning. Father, by your spirit, take those words, make them penetrate deep into our minds and our hearts that we may be faithful servants of our Lord. Amen. I've lost count of the number of times I've gone to the shop for my wife and thought, three things, I don't need to write that down, I can remember that list. Then to find myself wandering in a fog up and down the aisles going, what were those three things? Or in the walking from the kitchen to my office, and then find myself standing in my office going, what did I come here to do? Or worse still, finding myself back in the kitchen and realise I didn't do what I went to the office to do and come back again. Now, at 60, my kids could be right about the early onset of dementia, but you know as well as I do, you don't need to be old for that to happen. It's just part of being human. We're all prone to forget and wander from things that at one time seemed crystal clear. We laugh about the times in our life where we seem to have the memory span of a goldfish. But when it comes to serving our Lord in mission, forgetting about what we're meant to be doing is no laughing matter. Or worse still, to suddenly find out we're actually not doing what we set out to do. The history of the church is littered with the wrecks of organisations, churches and individuals who started out with a clear commitment to the mission of our Lord Jesus Christ and wandered off track or found out they're never really on the right track in the first place. So it's important as we look at mission this morning and next week, I'll be back next week, it's important as we begin, we anchor our ideas on the solid foundation of Jesus' words himself where he spells out clearly for us what our mission is to be. For several reasons, we need to listen carefully to Jesus' own words. For some of us, we may not be clear about what our mission as Christians is. So let's hear Jesus himself tell us. For some of us, we may have wandered off track a bit or become a bit fuzzy and hazy about what was once clear. Let's hear Jesus again to refocus us on what our mission is. And some of us who may be still on that straight and narrow after many years, the reason we're on that straight and narrow is because the words of Jesus have been burnt deep in our hearts and we love to hear them again and again. If that's you, let's hear those words again and fan the flame so to let it burn bright. If your Bible's not still open from the reading earlier, get it back open again. Uh, Luke 24, we're going to be focusing just on a few verses, verse 44 to 49. Get it out, eyeball Jesus' words for yourself. You make a better witness for Jesus if you've seen it with your own eyes. We've heard it read before, but now let's read it one more time in slow motion. The bunker's going to zero in where the ball hits the ground. We're zeroing in on 24, 46 to 48. 
Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. This morning we're going to focus in on Jesus' words that tell us what our mission as Christians should be. Once more in slow motion replay, starting at 46, then he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. You are witnesses of these things. Do you notice how similar that is to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, if you know that verse? Let me read that out to you. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Our mission is to bear witness to the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and to proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins in his name to all nations. The verbs, the doing or being words, for those of you who are grammatically challenged, they're be witnesses and proclaim. They're speaking roles. Our mission is not to do mime. Our mission is not to walk like a model on a catwalk, looking good but saying nothing. We have a speaking role in the drama of mission. Our mission, in summary, is to speak about Jesus. Now, of course, other parts of the Bible make it clear that we actually do need to do more than just speak. For example, James chapter 2 makes it clear that if we speak words about peace and, um, but then our, leave our brother naked and hungry, then our words are just empty. Good works must accompany our words. But don't let the fact that good works must accompany our words, don't let them take away from or diminish in any way Jesus' clear command that our mission is to speak and proclaim. More on good works in a minute. But for now, staying focused on the command to be witnesses and proclaim. Imagine that you're on trial for a crime that you did not commit. I'm called as your witness. I'm to be a witness to the fact that you're innocent and in fact that you were the hero in the situation. Whether you go to jail or get proper recognition depends on my witness. I enter the courtroom. I smile lovingly at everyone. I see a guy who's hungry, so I give him a sandwich. I see a lady who's sad, so I put my arm around her and comfort her. I go into the witness box. I'm on my very best behaviour, so as not to bring any bad credit to your name. But I don't say anything. When asked to give evidence, I just 
stand there silently. I don't do the very thing I was brought there to do. Speak about you. And because of my silence, because of my lack of verbal testimony, important evidence goes unsaid. And you're found guilty and sentenced. What sort of a witness have I been? Being well behaved and doing good works are helpful. But without words, we've not been a very good witness. The job of a witness is to speak what they know. Luke 24, 46-48 Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Now, we're personally not eyewitnesses. We were not there when Jesus died and rose and when he said those things. But as we read the Bible, we hear and we eyeball with our own eyes the testimony of the original eyewitnesses and we see and hear the very words of Jesus. We are to pass on the eyewitness accounts that we have seen and heard. Jesus has died for the forgiveness of sins and risen that we may have new life. His mission is to save. Our mission is to tell people about the Saviour. Let's back up a bit and look at that from a slightly different angle. As we look at our world around us, there is so much need and suffering. There is so much that could be done to help the hungry, to help the sick, the oppressed, to build wells for clean water, look after orphans, provide schooling. The list could go on for a long time. So why is our primary role to speak when there is so much to do? We speak about Jesus because whatever real need and suffering there is in our world, and there's heaps of it, no denying that, without taking anything away from legitimate physical and social needs that are out there, the real need of our world is salvation from sin and from an eternity in hell. If we meet their physical and social needs, but don't bring them the message of faith in Jesus, then we've not actually met their deepest need. And we may have just given them a nicer ride to hell. The only, sorry, only the gospel message of Jesus' death and resurrection, only the call to repentance and faith in him can save people from the horrors of hell. Only salvation through faith in Jesus can deliver them from an eternity where there's no more suffering, no more physical or social need, and no more injustice. The reason why Jesus our Lord has commanded us to proclaim the message as witnesses is because salvation is found in no other name and only Jesus died and rose for them. If we're not on board with this message, with his mission to proclaim, then we're not on board with Jesus. Jesus has commanded, 
This is our mission. This is our message. Jesus could have actually saved the world without our participation in any way if he had so chosen. He doesn't actually need us. But in his sovereign, divine wisdom, he has chosen to give us sinful, bumbling creatures a role to play. As a gift, as a grace to us, he has gifted us with the privilege of being his co-workers in saving the world to save a people for himself. His job is the act of his death and resurrection, salvation. Our job is to testify, proclaim, that salvation is found in him alone. So if mission, our mission, is primarily a speaking role, then what is the place of good works in our mission? How does doing good fit in with Jesus' really clear command that our job is to speak as witnesses? There's actually lots of Bible verses that explain this, but for the sake of simplicity, I'm going to go with one that I think is probably the best one. Titus chapter 2, verse 10. So that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Saviour. So that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Saviour. A little bit of context. The previous ten verses leading up to that verse is one long paragraph about Christians doing good. Both doing good in their general behaviour and doing acts of good for others around them. When we get to verse 10, he's focusing in on the good works of a slave in particular, but it also functions as a general summary statement for all Christians' role in doing good. It applies good works to all that we as Christians are to do. It applies to, sorry, let me read that. It applies to all good works that we as Christians are to do. The role of good works is one of adornment. That's the key word, adornment. The Greek word underlying the translation adorn was often used in the first century of a woman using makeup or jewelry. It was also used of um, uh, painting or decorating a building. Now, I personally make no claim to know much about makeup or jewelry. I'm a spectator, not a player, when it comes to that. But having spoken to people who do know about these things, I'm told that makeup and jewelry, when done well, highlight the natural beauty of the woman. The secret, so I am told, is not to use lots like a gangster rapper covered in bling, but to have just the right additions in the right place to highlight the person. Where not done well or where overdone, jewellery draws attention to itself and actually conceals and obscures the natural beauty of the person. In the same way, the place of good works is to highlight the natural beauty of the message of Jesus. But where good works get out of balance and become the primary focus, they actually can obscure and even sideline the all-important message about Jesus. 
I've seen good works and speaking work together in beautiful places, in several several places in Brisbane. One church, not very far from here, provides food and support for international students at one of the unis. They also actually have control and garden and keep one of the council's parks near them. Through both these ministries of good works, they they end up talking to lots of non-Christians, some of whom have started coming to their church and are hearing the gospel of Jesus at the church. They're great examples of the body of Christ working together and good works and proclamation of the gospel working together. They're also great examples of the body of Christ working together. Those who are really good at gardening and cooking working together with those who are really good at speaking. Though everyone's doing both. There's also a trap we need to be aware of. Two organisations come to mind that focus on material aid to those in need. I won't mention them. Organisations who 20 years ago gave all of their aid through the local church so that the good works are done in the name of Jesus through the local church's proclamation. But over the last 20 years, those two organisations, they still do good works, but as I now read their literature and their mission statements, there is so much more so much more talk about giving aid and so little talk about the message of Jesus and the local church. I don't think any Christians are committed to speaking witness about Jesus and then wake up tomorrow and go, oh, no, no, let's change and not do that. It happens by a slow drift, what the military or business call mission drift or mission creep. They start out headed, we're going to tell the world about Jesus. But over time, external situations or changes in thinking just push them and lead them to a new course and they slowly drift off course over time. I once read about a psychology experiment conducted in a university. Lecturers were targeted They pick lecturers who walk around a fair bit while they lecture. The the lecturers didn't know, the students had been set up beforehand, that when the lecturer moved to one side of the room, the students were to act disinterested and um, preoccupied. When the lecturer moved to the other side of the room, the students act interested and fully engaged with what they're saying. Now, as you can imagine, some lecturers didn't have a clue what was going on and didn't notice. But there was a fair number of them who just slowly, subconsciously, during the time of the lecture, just moved and drifted further and further to the side where they were being listened to. And and the report actually documented one lecturer who spent the second half of the lecture sitting on a windowsill at the very far end of the room. (laughs) Whether subconsciously or consciously, we actually all want to be accepted. When we do good works, people commend us. No one objects to looking after and helping overseas students or looking after a council park. But when we speak about Jesus, we can face rejection. Proclaiming Jesus can get you into trouble. It's easy to let that pressure 
influence our behaviour and just drift us to one side of the room and even change our thinking about mission to justify our actions. Another reason mission drift can happen is because things happen in our heart. If we grow cold in our love and our zeal for Jesus, his words no longer hold the prime place in our heart that they once did. And material needs now seem more important than those all-important words. The point being, there are both external and internal forces that act to nudge us off course. There are external forces from our world to soften or silence our message. And there are internal desires to be liked or to avoid rejection and persecution. It's so easy to be slowly pushed off course. Sadly, as a pastor, over the years, I've seen many Australian Christians who've never even begun to obey the command to be witnesses. Perhaps they fear the rejection that can come from that. Perhaps they've never begun the journey because they're so comfortable enjoying the restaurants and the good eating, watching Netflix, getting their houses in order, advancing their careers, can be so preoccupied and in love with those things that the clear words of Jesus just don't come set a stage and just don't get through. Jesus' words about mission are so clear. But Christians can go off course or just never get there in the first place. How do we avoid that becoming us? How do we keep that mission and that vision center in our vision and our heart? The first way is simply just go back to the basics. When I was in the army, we stayed on course while travelling through the bush by just keeping our eyes on the big targets. Got that mountain? If we just go through that pass to the right, we'll be right. Keep the big mountains of passages like Luke 24, 46 to 48 as a mountain in our sight. Our mission is to be witnesses of Jesus' death and resurrection, to proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sin. Learn verses like that by heart and relearn them regularly so they penetrate deep into our thinking. So they become not just what some guy set up front at church one morning, so they actually become something that we have to remind ourselves when there's no one up front saying it. The second way to stay on mission is to actually go deeper into the gospel, to read the Bible deeply and come to a deeper understanding of what those simple, clear statements actually mean. When on military exercises and we needed more more guidance than just go to the right of the mountain, we brought out the maps and the compasses and looked at the fine details around. Keep the compass and map of God's word there and consult it regularly to check we're still looking at the right big mountain. And when I speak about going deeper into scriptures, some people mishear that to mean learn complex theology or cold, boring theology. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is just read the scriptures more 
and be more prayerful and thoughtful about what they mean. Ask the Lord to give you a clearer understanding and conviction about what those words in the scriptures actually say. Perhaps join a Bible study so you can do it in community with friends. Perhaps ask Wes to give you some material to read through. Dare I say, enroll in QTC and do some part-time study. The more we see Jesus and the more his words take root in our heart, the more we will own that command for what is our mission and will not be moved off course. In final wrap-up summary for the whole thing, in conclusion, Jesus himself tells us, let's go to John's Gospel for one verse, just listen, don't go there. Jesus tells us in in John's Gospel that his sheep hear his voice and follow him. Let's listen to his voice. Then he said to them, It is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. If these words have challenged you today, then you need to respond appropriately. If Jesus' mission is now clear to you for the first time, it would be good to you to have a chat to Wes about how you actually do something about making that central to your life. If you've been convicted that you've wandered a bit off track, this is going to sound like a repeat, talk to Wes. He'd love to talk to you about how you can get back on track. If you've been strengthened in your resolve to find ways in your life to be a witness for Jesus, then keep on, brothers and sisters, and encourage each other in how you can do that. Share with each other how God has sustained you in that. If you've heard this and feel inadequate for the mission, that's a great response. In fact, next week, that's what we're going to focus on, how God empowers us to do what he's commanded us to do. If you've listened to Jesus' words and are determined that you have no intention of obeying the command to be a witness, then you need to face the fact that there are two possibilities. Either one is you're a disobedient sheep who needs to repent and seek forgiveness. And those verses we've looked at actually tell you loud and clear where that forgiveness is available. And again, Wes would love to talk to you about becoming an obedient sheep. Well, the second possibility is you're actually not a sheep at all. If that's you, then you too need to consider that you too need to repent and seek that forgiveness in his name that we've been talking about. And at the risk of sounding like a cracked record, (laughs) Wes would love to talk to you about that if you're challenged in that area. Jesus has given us a clear command. Our mission is to, as his church, is to be witnesses of his death and resurrection and to proclaim repentance and forgiveness in his name. Now, if we are his sheep, let's follow him and be witnesses.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your words are so clear. We thank you that your words have left us in no doubt about what our mission is. Father, every one of us here in this room has been challenged by those words. We pray that you, by your spirit, will convict us about the appropriate ways in which we need to respond to your word, whether it be being encouraged to press on in what we're already doing, whether it be to refocus our lives, or whether it be to get on board with the mission in the first place. Father, we just pray that you will convict us of the right way to respond, and may we as brothers and sisters encourage and help each other in our mission as the church. Amen.